Hello, and welcome to the OCR Exams podcast, where we'll be chatting with a range of guest speakers from the world of education. My name's Anthony. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. Here at OCR, we're committed to supporting teachers and exams officers at every step of their journey with us. We're also here to help our students to reach their full potential, and some of our podcasts will feature tips and advice on revising, preparing for exams, and managing mental health. Please remember to like, comment on, and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're using, and be sure to follow our other social media channels. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search for OCR exams. You can also find a range of subject-specific blogs on our website, ocr.org.uk forward slash blog. So let's get started with today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the OCR podcast. My name is Christine Ozden. I'm the Global Director of Climate Education at Cambridge University Press and Assessment, OCR's parent organisation. I'm responsible for overseeing how our education programmes can best provide students with the ability to be ready for future jobs by helping them develop the climate and sustainability related knowledge, skills and understanding they will need. Today we're joined by Jodie Bailey-Ho, who is a student of environmental sciences at the University of Manchester. For the last three years, Jodie's been volunteering at the crossroads of climate, youth and education with organisations like the UK Student Climate Network, Teach the Future and Mock Cop. She's the co-founder of Teach the Teacher, a project which gives students the opportunities to swap places with their teachers to deliver a workshop on climate change. Jodie, can I start by asking you how you came to get interested in climate change and how, how did you decide that the time had now come for you to get involved and to take action? Well, around the time everyone else seemed to get involved when Greta was the figurehead in the media, my parents thought it was a bit dangerous for me to go to the protests. They were completely safe, but obviously parents want to be protective over their children. So I decided to get involved with the UK Student Climate Network or UKSCN that were kind of hosting the, the big strikes and they worked nationally, remote or online. So it seemed like a much better option for me and my parents were very supportive of that. So I sort of got involved there and started to do a lot of work with school development and and getting working groups of young people together across the country and creating a network of young people. And it kind of just all snowballed from there. And there are a number of organisations in the, the climate emergency space Maybe one that many people have heard of is Extinction Rebellion. How do, how do you all fit together? Do you fit together? Everyone's heard of Extinction Rebellion. I think they tend to be quite outrageous in the, the actions that they do. And obviously it's not for everyone. But in terms of my work, it's definitely a lot more cam- campaign based. But we, help, we all help each other. I think the people on the streets help make the noise for the actual lobbying. And then that in turn creates change with with in parliament and with the government so i think we we're all in really integral to each other and it's hard to to be campaigning successfully without having that noise which is so different to what i do but i'm not involved with extinction rebellion in that uh, in that space but yes we do help each other and i think 
you can't really have one without the other and I think change needs them both. Thank you. That's really good to get your, your perspective on that. And the, the theme of our podcast here is, is climate education. So I'm curious to know who you think is responsible for educating young people about the climate emergency. I think it's a really interesting question because there's so much to learn about climate change in every aspect of your life that it it's not really down to one set of people. It it should not be just on the young person or anyone really themselves to learn about climate change because I think that can be a very overwhelming job. But the question of responsibility is so hard because there are, we, it's not just learning in school, it's learning in a continual aspect of your whole life. Education is a lifelong journey and it's teachers, parents, yourself, media. It's also... Um, the system which you're in, which is um, mandated by external systems like the government. The government tells, well, the exam boards what they need to put in terms of the curriculum. And obviously the curriculum is how a lot of young people are learning. So it's really, it's such a difficult question, but it's really everyone and no one at the same time. You talked about it being, well, it's a shared, a shared responsibility. Absolutely. And within, within the various stakeholders that you mentioned, you talked about teachers. Um, and I, I know that in, in your writing, you've, you've quoted a, a figure of 70% of teachers saying that they don't feel equipped to teach yeah. climate change. Um, and, and we've done uh, research that likewise suggests that there's a, there's a real confidence gap with, with teachers. Can you say a bit more about what the implications of that confidence gap or, are or, or the fact that teachers don't feel equipped to teach climate change? Yeah. And is, is that what's brought you to, to focus on teachers in, in the work that, that you do? The issue is so big and it's so difficult to tackle because if teachers don't feel equipped to talk about something or if they don't feel confident they don't have the knowledge, then it, it's a potential factor in stopping them from talking about, about something like climate change. And I know that having spoken to a lot of my teachers, it is something they choose not to talk about because of that reason. It's so hard to speak on something when you don't know if what you're saying is right. Um, and that's often why it's not brought into the classroom, which is a huge problem because, you know, the climate conversation is something that we should all be equals in and it often doesn't feel that way. But that is obviously partly what brought on Teach the Teacher. The main thing, I think the thing that really triggered it, having have, having had that massive 70% figure, was the fact that my one of my teachers was actually a climate denier, which like felt really shocking to me. And I, um, I remember sitting down on a Zoom call with colleagues in the climate education space and the executive director of um, SOS UK, who now hosts Teach the Teacher, I said, this is ridiculous. I We need to sort this out, but how can we do that? And there was a conversation about what if we taught the teachers ourselves? And it was like, oh, Teach the Teacher, there's, there's the name. It really just went from there, just working with everyone on that call and, and people that, that were then interested in to develop resources about having a lesson on climate change for teachers. And, and yeah, that was worldwide. And we had about, I think, in the UK at least, we, there were 17 secondary schools just at the beginning. And now we've obviously relaunched it for the next three years. So hopefully we can go on to make an even bigger impact. Jodie, a little bit earlier there, you mentioned SOS UK. Can you say a little bit more yeah, about uh, what and, and who they are? 
So SOS UK, Students Organising for Sustainability, they are a big environmental charity which hosts almost 40 programmes, projects and campaigns um, based around reforming the education system for for the urgency of, of climate change. Yeah, so they are one of the only, or if not the only, charity that hires real actual students to, um, to lead on their campaigns. So Teach the Teachers, one of them. Teach the Future also, which is a UK-based campaign to rapidly reorientate the education system around the, the, the severity of climate change and the climate crisis. And MockCOP, which works internationally. We, there was obviously COP26 being postponed and we did some um, action around when it would have been. And that's where MockCOP grew out from. And, and going back to Teach the Teacher, let's talk a little bit, bit more about that, because I, I think it, it's... Um, it offers a toolkit for students to deliver lessons and workshops on climate change. Yeah. Can you tell us a, a bit more about that? And you also mentioned that it's been relaunched. What's what's the background to the to yeah. the relaunch? Teach the teacher offers a toolkit for students to deliver lessons. Yes, um, it's basically you can either do a one hour session or four lots of 15 minutes and it covers things like the basics of climate change, climate justice, climate anxiety um, and climate education and how to bring that into the classroom. And it's essentially us as the five student staff on the campaign supporting students to then go into their own schools and their own classrooms and to get some teachers in a room at the same time and then give them this workshop. It's really just a platform for students to be empowered to take that change and that make that step and then believe that they can go out and do something even bigger than that and we've actually found it to be really successful I mean when I did it in my school it was so empowering to be at the front of the classroom talking to my teachers as, as an equal in that situation I think the figures like 68% of teachers that have have been in those sessions have said that they would make changes to their teaching as a result which is obviously really amazing but yeah we've just received some more funding to upscale it in the UK for the next three years yeah and that's hopefully 200 schools a year which is really exciting and obviously a bit daunting actually yeah. but um it's good to be ambitious and I think that there are people out there that would love to be involved and that is really ambitious to 200 <laughs> yes. schools that's just about every sort of school day there is in the year oh, isn't it in yeah. terms of its its geographical scope it's currently focused on the UK but it is a worldwide project and the rest of the world <laughs> seems so funny to say but the rest of the world is kind of handled by the the students at MockCOP who are working on other things to do with this, like Teach the Parent, which is a similar conversation with your parents. And I think coming soon, Teach the teach the Government, Teach the Politician or something like that. Keeping eyes peeled all around, it seems, is the best course of action. Jodie, you mentioned there a little earlier MockCOP, and that took place in, in 2020, and you, you were also involved in that. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So we came together in the two weeks that COP26 would have been held in 2020 um, in an online capacity. And I think there are over 350 young delegates from across the world coming together to speak to each other, to hear others' opinions and to hear them talk about the real issues that, that were going on at that time in the world of climate change, um, green jobs, the nationally determined contributions, which is like the, the country's commitments to carbon and carbon dioxide climate education, climate justice, all of those kind of topics. And then in the second week, create policies around those five topics and 
and that would eventually be in the, the treaty, which came out at the end of the two weeks. So the treaty was written and like signed off by all of all of the young the young delegates, and it was actually I think legally sound, so it can be adopted into policy um, by any country. And now I think all of those delegates and continually more and more volunteers that that are with MOCOP try to lobby for those policies to be implemented. Um, but MOCOP does a lot of work around climate education on a global scale, and there are so many more more projects that it. it kind of houses. So there is obviously the treaty lobbying going on. They take care of teach the parent and teach the teacher at a worldwide level. And they're also kind of this year hoping to recreate a mock education minister's summit. Mock cop, teach the teacher, teach the parent. These have grown out of, of teach the future, yeah. which is a, a student led campaign which lobbies for integrated and mandatory um, assess climate education. Now, you know Jodi, our organisation um, publishes research and, and we develop curriculum and qualifications and, and produce teaching materials. And, and our OCR colleagues in UK education, they did engage with, um, with Teach the Future as they were consulting around the new natural history um, GCSE. Broadly, are we in the target audience for Teach the Future? How can we engage with Teach the Future? Are we on the radar? Absolutely. You already are like you said there was a lot of work that went into that natural history GCSE and I think I'm really excited actually to see what that might look like but Teach the Future talks to so many different people I think primarily it obviously is uh, involved in lobbying at the political level with the Department for Education and trying to get curriculum change but it's really an organisation about climate education and anything that it can do to contribute in that way, it kind of grabs with both hands. So they've had opportunities to go to conferences and talk about climate education, obviously be involved in, in different qualifications. It's exactly as in the example of the Natural History GCSE, just getting young people involved to talk about what they want out of their education and what they would be interested in in learning. And I think it's definitely a really exciting opportunity with the new Natural History GCSE um, to see what the young people's input eventually does look like. So Jodie, you've, you've got a lot of activity going on, a lot of action here. Um, where does the support come from to, um, to sustain the activity? I think there's just a lot of interest generally in supporting young people to do and make change and believe that they can. I think well, Teach the Future has um, huge support from, well, just a lot of people in general. There's a, currently a climate education bill that was written for students about, um, about their own education, and that's supported by um, a range of politicians. We also have students themselves. We have um, a wide volunteer base, um, but also parents are interested in what we have to say. And I think there's an organisation in the House of Lords something about peers for climate or something like that, that they they are interested in what we have to say as well. And I think just increasingly a lot of organisations like to, to see what young people say. I think they have very connected with diversity and with sustainability and climate change. Lots of fingers in lots of pies. <laughs> and um, they're increasingly realising that young people are very insightful and know what they know what they want, really. And I think that's um, a very useful quality 
to have. Um, but yeah, there's support from from many different people, and there's always a way for for people to get involved and for people to provide us with with support, regardless of who they are. And what about financial support? How is Teach the Teacher funded? So we have two big funders. We are funded by the Ovo Foundation and the I Will Foundation, and they are very generous, but it does mean that we do have to reach 200 schools, um, 100 schools a year for both. Um, but the I Will specifically, that money is for the wider Green Schools Revolution project, which Teach the Teacher is a part of, but it's also for the development and pilot of climate action plans, which is part of the Department for Education's uh, climate and sustainability strategy, and also for this new work um, around a future forum, which connects, well, is aiming to connect young people from big um, environmental organisations and have more interconnectedness. Because often a lot of everyone seems to know each other in the climate movement, but that work remains siloed, which is not often conducive to wider change. So if we can get young people talking about different projects that they're working on. Hopefully with some of the big environmental CEOs in the room, there can, there's room for more, more change and more impact. And, and in terms of getting involved, how, how do you decide which schools to work with and, yeah. or how to prioritise? Because like you say, there, there is a lot of interest. Well, in terms of who we target, there are certain stipulations that we have to fulfil. But in terms of high um, high levels of free school meals or BAME community and things like that. We do more outreach to those areas. However, we don't say no to anybody. So if there is someone who's interested, we get, there's a lot of interest in London. Uh, we haven't done any outreach there, but there seems to be someone's talking about it in London. <laughs> And we don't say no to anyone. So we provide support for everyone that signs up, regardless if it's primary, we adapt. We can adapt resources and support teachers in primary schools. Obviously can't work directly with the children because it just doesn't work like that. But it's mainly at secondary school and college age students, but it's for everyone. So if there are interested people, we work with them to see how we can make it best fit them. Okay. Jodie, thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great experience. That's all for this OCR podcast episode. To everyone listening, I hope you found this episode interesting. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and students and keep up to date with the latest GCSE natural history news on our dedicated webpage, teach.ocr.org.uk forward slash natural history. And please do get in touch with us if you need any further support.